The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord. Since, if, since many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as those who were eyewitnesses from the beginning and ministers of the word handed them down to us, I too have decided, after investigating everything accurately anew, to write it down in an orderly sequence for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may realize the certainty of the teachings you have received. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news of him spread throughout the whole region. He taught in their synagogues and was praised by all. He came to Nazareth, where he had grown up, and went according to his custom into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. He stood up to read and was handed a scroll of the prophet Isaiah. He unrolled the scroll and found a passage where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to bring glad tidings to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to captives and recovery of the sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and to proclaim a year acceptable to the Lord. Rolling up the scroll, he handed it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue looked intently at him. He said to them, Today this scripture passage is fulfilled in your hearing. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome to year C. Okay, it's 2020, yes. It's uh, for Sunday, uh, we'll be going through the lectionary in year C. And year C is the year of Luke, which we just heard the introduction, right? Uh, gospel of the reading according to Luke, right? There's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John, we only have three years for the lectionary, though, for Sunday. So how does that work, right? One of them gets the short end of the stick. Well, sort of. John is kind of put into all the different uh, years. So there's A, B, and C. Matthew, it focuses on Matthew, then Mark, and this year, year C, is Luke. And so we'll be focusing on Luke. So you'll kind of hear Luke. Now, there's a lot of similarities because they're all talking about Jesus, right? However, there are certain things about each gospel to notice that are slightly different and maybe emphasize, emphasize certain things more than others. Luke uh, is writing, uh, as we just heard, to Theophilus. We don't know who that is, but uh, it, it seems as though uh, through a few other accounts that we also know about Luke is that Luke also wrote an account of the Acts of the Apostles to Theophilus as well. And in the Acts of the Apostles, we recognize that he's talking to third person, talking about what they did, and then all of a sudden at a certain point talks about what we did. And so there's kind of indication that Luke is actually writing about his own experience as well in the second half of the Acts of the Apostles. And now is writing about Jesus' account, right? Using the other sources as well and also investigating the people. But he, uh, it seems as though he was a Greek convert. So he wasn't, he didn't know all the Jewish customs, although he was aware of it. And so you see him explain certain things a little bit different than maybe Matthew, who uh, kind of is seen as a, a Jew, right? And who would, have, who would have explained it to people who already knew about the cost, customs. Luke explains it a little bit there. He also, we see, is, uh, seems to be a doctor. And one of the reasons why they think that is because the way that he explains ailments 
is different than other people. He explains it in a way that a doctor would, seeing and understanding certain things about ailments that other people wouldn't. Interesting kind of thing to notice. Uh, Another thing that you'll notice within Luke is that he also talks more about the marginalized than the other ones, that we see a lot more stories, or at least uh, we know that women were always with Jesus, but Luke uh, specifically mentions them maybe by name or maybe points out certain things that the other gospel uh, writers, uh, because you're trying to write a whole account, you can't include everything, and so they didn't include So uh, as we continue throughout the year, we'll be able to continue on that. Okay, now into what do we we take from the readings, right? We're in year C. We just heard from Nehemiah, uh, from St. Paul, and from Luke. Well, I'd like to start about why maybe some of this is important. And some of the problem, uh, sometimes I like the phrase, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? You know that phrase, right? If it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? Sometimes we try to fix things that aren't broken, and it doesn't help at all. And I feel like that a lot of the times with our life as well, right? Sometimes we have solutions to problems that we don't really have, right? Um, however, what I'd like to maybe present to us today as we kind of look at the readings today is I think one of the, you know, sometimes it can be presented that religion causes problems, right? We sometimes hear this that, you know, religion causes more wars or death or, or there's an anxiety, there's a certain amount of anxiety that religion can cause because of a fear of hell or a fear of sin, However, what I want to acknowledge is that we live uh, in one of the kind of least religious societies that have ever lived, right? And yet, what are the ailments of the world of the modern day? We still have lots of killing, right? We still have lots of war. Uh, We still have uh, religion doesn't necessarily cause it. And one of the other things that I'd like to, I, I think, just acknowledge is that it's amazing how in the modern day we struggle with anxiety and depression and um, anxiety and depression more than any time before. Now, maybe that's just particular environment, but I would say that I'd, I'd like to present to us in some ways that the anxiety and depression that we experience, which we all experience, right, to certain degrees. I would say that myself, my personal personality is that I, I don't struggle with anxiety a huge amount. I do a little bit in certain things. However, strangely enough, finals week is like my favorite, was my favorite week in school because I was able to deal with it and it was a little bit more free. So that's kind of my personality a little bit, right? Uh, but you know, certainly we all have anxieties in different ways. And where we kind of see in the modern day is that it, it's overbearing to a certain degree. Uh, and the way in which it is, I would argue that a lot of our anxiety comes through uncertainty. Uncertainty, right? At least, at least for myself, I think about a lot of my anxiety, right? Am I doing this right? Am I not doing this right? What am I supposed to do, right? That's kind of a lot of anxiety, right? Do people like me? Am I worthy? Is, is, does my life matter, right? All these things, we might not be able to formulate them, but, but they're often these underlying questions that we have which causes greater anxiety, depression, purpose, and meaning. And so how do we, how do we deal with that? Well, we can, you know, just go to the world more and say, well, maybe you just need to be more free. But I would actually make the argument today that actually the exact opposite is the cure. Uh, We don't need more freedoms to be able to do whatever we want, but actually we need more clarity in our life. And it's actually one of the things that Nehemiah and the Israelite people experienced in the first reading. There's a beautiful account. It's, It's a little bit long, right? 
But Nehemiah, it's a beautiful. The Jewish people have been exiled and they're actually coming back for the first time. And some of the Jews have been kind of around. Jerusalem is in shambles, okay? The wall is crumbled. Nobody's really living in the city. Everybody's living outside of it. And Nehemiah comes back to rebuild the city of Jerusalem to be able to worship God again. And we heard the account where they read the law of God to the people. And it's beautiful. People stand, right? And everybody's listening. And they they want to be able to hear it because they want to be able to know, God, what do you have to say to our life? It's another part of scripture where it says that, you know, no nation has God as close as the, as, the God, as, the, as the kingdom of Israel because Israel has God's commandments, right? If we want to know what we're made for, how to live, right, God actually gives it to the people of Israel and gives us to us as well. And so we see the people actually rejoicing in the law of God and saying, God, why didn't, I wish we would have known this sooner, right? And they're actually weeping. They're weeping because they're like, wow, we didn't know this. We didn't know how to live. We didn't know what you wanted. But now that we hear it, we want to live in your life, in your law, right? And it's a beautiful, beautiful kind of clarity of life. And what's beautiful is that they actually first, for the city of Jerusalem, first build up the walls of Jerusalem and then rebuild the temple. They build up the walls because they need to know what are our parameters, right? Where are we? How are we safe? And not safety in terms of keeping everybody out. Walls have uh, openings. They have gates, right? They let people in and out. But there's also a safety there that allows you to be able to actually build up a city. uh, Because there are walls which protect us from the evils of the world that are real and that are out there. Well, God's commandments does the same exact thing. One of Jesus' statements is Jesus got rid of, he was very critical of a lot of laws. He was a lot of, very critical of a lot of man-made laws. However, it would be a mistake to be able to say that Jesus didn't care about laws or commandments, because he did. Actually, one of his statements is he, he commands us, remain in my love. If you follow my commandments, you will remain in my love. He actually links his love, not a conditional love, but in a way in which we're able to remain in his love is actually following his commandments. Because the commandments allow us to remain in his love, to be secure within that. However, the modern day, the modern world says, well, we shouldn't have laws. We should have freedom and be able to do whatever we want, whoever we want to be, do, uh, you know, and become whoever we want to be. And although I want to be able to say that certainly we do sometimes limit ourselves more than we need to, but the idea that we can do whatever we want and become whoever we want is just false. That actually causes a lot of anxiety because, well, maybe I want to fly, right? Well, I can fly in a plane, yeah, but but I'm not going to be able to fly, right? I'm not made for that. That's not what I'm made for. And if that's where I find my happiness and joy and that's the only way is that myself is going to be able to fly, well, that's just not... A, a place in reality. And so actually part of the human nature and part of uh, living in God is actually becoming who God made us to be. Not becoming who we think we should be. Not fulfilling whatever we think is important, but actually becoming who God has made us to be. Which is each one of us is unique and particular. 
a particular part which can't be replaced by anyone else. We hear that in the second reading, right? Different roles, absolutely. Different parts, absolutely. All are needed. A foot can't say to hand, oh, I want to be, I want to be a hand, right? I love the idea of, you know, kind of the ear wanting to be, you know, the eye or the eye wanting to be the ear, right? No, no, no. They have their roles and they're needed. And I would say the same thing with us. Not a role, again, in a man-made way. Roles are certainly there, which are helpful for us. Certainly, sometimes we build up certain roles within a man-made way that, which aren't helpful. Absolutely. There are certain roles and expectations which need to be torn down. However, God's, God has made you in a specific way with unique gifts and unique ability. One of the other examples uh, that God has given us is this uh, clarity of male and female, this complementarity. And I mentioned it uh, last week as well and just want to, again, uh, mention it. And so, again, it's not, uh, again, who we want to be, but who God has made us to be, right? And, and each one of us have different gifts. It's one of the things that I say is like, well, I, God did not make me to be pregnant. I cannot be pregnant, right? No matter how much I want to be pregnant, I'm not going to be pregnant because I'm not able to, right? It's not a matter of want. It's a matter of what God has made me for, right? And God hasn't made me in that way, an ability to be able to do that. Women, however, are, right? It doesn't mean that every single woman is. However, there is a potential there, right, in that. And there's a great clarity in that, that God has made us different, unique, complementarity in a way in that we see within the world. And we don't need to tear down these amazing gifts that God has given us, but we need to actually recognize what is God given and maybe what have we put on or maybe societal things. Yeah, we can tear those away, right? But, uh, but we want to be able to receive what God has given us. Uh, saint, or not saint, uh, maybe someday. G.K. Chesterton is an amazing Englishman who converted uh, to Catholicism. And actually, before he converted to Catholicism, he spoke a lot about Catholicism. But uh, this book, Orthodoxy, which was given by my grandma, and I, I, she gave it to me when I first entered seminary. I was like, okay, grandma, yeah, whatever. And I actually didn't read it for many years. And then I finally read it uh, after I was ordained a priest. And I was like, Grandma, you are amazing. This is an amazing book. Uh, It's really dense, really difficult. It was actually written in 1908. Uh, He has a way of explaining things, which is just beautiful and amazing. I would recommend it to anybody who wants to dive a little bit more into philosophical uh, and kind of dense Catholic thought. Uh, But he gives this example, which I love, which, uh, again, to frame it and think about laws and walls in a different way than sometimes what we think about in the world. So he's kind of saying, he's talking about authority and an adventurer. He's talking about people who kind of, kind of say that religion is the cause of problems. And this is uh, what he states. So I quote, The view that priests darken and embitter the world, bitter the world, I look at the world and simply discover that they don't. Those countries in Europe, which are still influenced by priests, are exactly the countries where there is still singing and dancing and colored dresses and the art in the open air. Catholic doctrine and discipline may be walls, but they are walls of a playground. Christianity is the only frame which has preserved the pleasures of paganism. We might fancy some children playing on a grassy flat top of some tall island in the sea, 
So long as there are walls around the cliff's edge, they could fling themselves into every frantic game and make the place the noisiest of nurseries. But the walls were knocked down, leaving the naked peril of the uh, precipitate. I was practicing this early. The peril of the precipitous. I'm not saying that correctly. The wall, the edge, the cliff. They did not fall over. But when their friends returned to them, they were all huddled in terror at the center of the island, and their song had ceased. End of quote. So you can kind of see that image, right? As long as there's walls around, they were free to play and to be able to be free within the context that they were. An amazing gift. But they tore down those walls thinking, well, that's limiting them, right? But instead, right, then they were really... Uh, open to the dangers of the chaos around them and kind of talks about them being in the center, kind of huddled and fearful. And I feel like that's in some ways our modern world, dealing with anxiety and depression to such a great degree. We've knocked down these walls and now it's a frightening world out there, absolutely. And, And we, as Catholics, don't build up walls to be able to keep people out, right? Or to be able to keep us in. Walls there in the law of God is an amazing gift for us to be able to live. To be able to live who God made us to be. And so, I just pray that we might, as we struggle with the laws of God, as we struggle with maybe our anxiety in different ways, that we can submit and be able to live in God's life. God's law, remain in his love as we remain in his commandments and as we remain in his prayer and love here tonight.